Good morning. Happy New Year. We read from John chapter 17, verses 17 and 18 this morning. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. You pray with me? Um, Lord, we're just, we're grateful for a church. We're grateful for a church that gathers on New Year's Day when this might not be what we wanted to do this morning. We might have been tired. We might have been dragging out of bed. But, um, man, the people in this room are just excited to worship you. They're excited to hear Chris um, preach for the first time. Lord, be with him. Give him strength. Give him just peace and a deep breath. Let your words speak through him. Um, Lord, let's just let us be sanctified in the truth. Give us eyes to see. Um, eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe. Amen. Well, here goes nothing. Um, I was had an introduction planned, which I'll still go through, but then Lance threw in the uh, preaching cohort and the American Idol bit, and that was really pressurizing. And then he softened it with, but he was second. So I'm, I'm good. It was actually Kobe who got first, and he was supposed to be out of town, but he's here today, <laughs> ironically enough. So, um, but either way, I'm humbled to be here. Uh, this is a first for me, so I'm excited, I'm nervous, um, and I'm grateful that this room is a lot smaller than it normally is. So, um, but hey, it's a new year, right? 2023, we have made it. We're about to embark on a new adventure, all kinds of new things that await us in 2023. And so, I don't know how many of you have already said it, probably teenagers more than the adults, but like the whole 2023, new me in 2023, you know. Um, and I think that's kind of the mantra for this time of year, right, is that, uh, that it, there's a new opportunity for us to kind of grow and to um, expand maybe in our knowledge or to grow in our finances or to get a promotion or to become healthier uh, or prioritize a diet, or, or whatever it might be, right? This is the time of year where we start to kind of set some goals and things that we would hope to uh, attain in the new year. So for me, last year, I, I haven't really been big on doing resolutions because of like what Lance mentioned, and, and I'll mention here is that, you know, the likelihood of keeping them is sometimes small, right, because we get uh, busy. But my goals for last year were to read the Bible through in a year. By God's grace, I was able to do that. And then the second one was to learn a new skill. I think I've learned how to preach through the cohort. And so here we are. It's now the next year, but nonetheless, uh, we're here. So those are my resolutions last year. But I think for some of us, resolutions are good. It's good for us to have something that we look forward to, that we have a goal to try to attain. Um, but I, I wonder if our resolutions only ever relate to um, our physical betterment or our financial betterment or that we would get to take more trips in the next year, vacations, promotions, things like that. And all those are good in and of themselves, but I, I wonder if we were to take an inventory spiritually of where we're at and the year that we're coming out of and what we're about, about, about to embark on, what it might look like if we prioritize some more soul goals or some spiritual goals going into the new year. That's the one thing I don't hear about often, um, is what we're going to do to deepen our walk with the Lord in this next year. So I don't know if that's because it's harder for us to quantify those results, or if it's harder because it just seems like a daunting task, or we don't have a real good end goal in mind, so we kind of just shoot for the stars and, and we really um, don't land. So I don't hear people saying, I'm looking forward to being a holier me in 2023. 
right? Uh, maybe that's our new Grove shirt, Cassie, for this year. I don't, I don't know. Um, a holier me in 2023. So I think resolutions are great. They give us direction and a goal to reach for. But I think the reality is, is that we wind up getting lazy. I think life gets in the way. Circumstances are such that we're just not as serious as we thought we would be when the going gets tough. And those challenges that we face are real, and they keep us from good things if our focus isn't right. So what about spiritual goals and resolutions for this year? Soul goals is what I'm going to call them for today. When it comes to the spiritual life and our spiritual growth, the challenges are inevitable. But why is this the case? Because here's the reality. 23% of people who make a New Year's resolution at the beginning of the year, 23% of them who make that resolution quit within the first week. 36% of them make it past the first month. And then 9% actually achieve their goal within the new year or within that year. So do you think you're going to be in the top 9% this year? Um, do you want to be? More importantly, when it comes to spiritual maturity and spiritual growth, is it possible for us to be holier in this next year? I think it is, and I think we have help, and we'll see in our text today. So what might that do for our resolve if we realize that we have a hope and we have a help to actually be more like Christ in the year to come? Jesus knows that we're going to face challenges, right? And so in this world, he's left us here. Most of us are not nine percenters. And so what must Jesus do to help us be more like him in the new year? I think if we go to our passage for today, John 17, verse 17, we'll see that this is Jesus. This is the high priestly prayer in John. Jesus is just days away from being betrayed and going to the cross on our behalf. And he's, his earthly ministry, as far as miracles and things like that, are done at this point. And he's praying to the Father on our behalf, and this is what he prays in verse 17, which is where we'll be today. Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So I think it's important as we start this morning for us to understand that one of God's chief attributes is his holiness. And because God is holy, that in turn, mean that his, that in turn means that his holiness demands that we also be holy. Scripture calls us to be holy as God is holy. So I don't think that simply just a better version of ourself in 2023 is what sanctification is in its entirety. I don't think that's exactly what Jesus is praying for here. So how is it that we are made holy? So let's look at sanctification. Okay, I'm going to try to pronounce the Greek word. I'm just going to give you this up front. I don't speak Greek, and I was, at Blue, I was on Blue Letter Bible while I was studying, and there's an audio option if you didn't know that. And there's a guy that, that reads to you and tells you how to pronounce the word. But the problem is, is now I can only hear this word in his voice. So that's how I'm going to say it to you this morning. And it's hagiazzo, hagiazzo. All right. So I don't know why I sound like Crunk from Emperor's New Groove when I do that. But and nonetheless, that's what it is. So hagiazzo is this Greek word for sanctification here. And it means to be consecrated or to be set apart, particularly for a holy purpose. Okay? The idea here is that we would be set apart from, in this case, profane things. God is leaving us in the world, and he's sanctifying us while we're here. And so that word, to be set apart, means that we'd be set apart from profane things. In order for us to truly understand the depth of sanctification, I think we need to spend some time and consider what Jesus is really asking for you and me. I believe that if we look um, a little bit deeper into this word, I believe that there are three things that we can understand about sanctification. And so let's consider the first together. 
The first one is that we are positionally sanctified. We are positionally holy. And I think we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. The scripture should come up on the screen behind me. I'm going to flip in my Bible. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. Look at the words there. You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so we see that this is a positional identity for the believers, that upon belief in Jesus, because of his work on the cross, we are sanctified. This is accomplished by the work of Jesus on the cross. He took the sins of the world upon himself. He bore them on the cross. He took on the full wrath of God towards sin. And if we believe in him, then we're not only justified and judicially declared innocent, but we are made holy and blameless in the eyes of God. He sees those who believe, God sees those who believe as being covered in the atoning blood of Jesus. And so we are sanctified. That's immediate, and we are set apart for a holy purpose. Now, you might be asking, well, why does this matter? Why is this important? And I think it's important because this is the heart of the gospel, right? That Christ came, Christ accomplished reconciliation for his enemies. I think it's easy for us to forget that like in Colossians 1, 21 and 22, it tells us who we were before Jesus. Apart from Christ, we were hostile in our minds, we were enemies of his, and we were doing evil deeds. This was our position before Jesus made a way and brought us in um, as family. And so we're alienated, we're separated from God, we're hostile in our minds, we're doing evil deeds. And so Jesus came and died and was the sacrifice for our sin so that we would be able to be presented to God as holy and blameless and above reproach before God if we would believe on him. And so I want you to notice that this is something for believers. Sanctification happens at the moment of belief, conversion. This is something that is for those who believe. Remember, I said earlier, chief attribute of God is that he is holy, and so his holiness, it demands our holiness if we are to be his. So Jesus, because of his perfection, not ours, was the only possible atoning sacrifice for our sin. In John 17, we get a glimpse into the moments with Jesus before he is betrayed, and we see what he's doing here. He's praying for you and I. He's praying for his disciples. He's praying for the apostles. He's praying that we would be set apart, that we would be sanctified. So sanctification at the moment that we believe and are justified is not an all or nothing thing. We know that, right? We live this life dealing with the sinful nature that we have. And so this isn't an all or nothing thing. It's not, well, I believed in Jesus, so now all of a sudden, somehow my life gets miraculously better and I don't struggle with anything anymore. That's not the reality, right? And I think if we live that way, if we live with the understanding that this is an all or nothing thing, we're going to be left really disappointed in the fact that, um, or belittling ourselves or thinking less of ourselves because we don't recognize who God is and what he's done for us. And we think that we have something to give um, to our salvation. And so we're fully forgiven and sanctified in the eyes of the Lord at the moment of conversion, and yet due to our sinful nature, nature, we still struggle with sin. I personally feel this tension as a parent, and I'm sure if we asked for a poll and raised hands, every parent in this room would say that they probably feel this tension to some degree. Um, 
uh, of struggling to uh, parent in a way that is walking in step with the Lord so that we, we parent well, that we are, are giving our children over uh, to Him. So I feel this tension as a parent. The more and more I walk with the Lord, I find that it doesn't take much for me to, get, to forget my position in this relationship. Um, it doesn't take much for me to forget my position and, and realize that He has set me apart for a particular purpose, even within my family, as the spiritual leader of my home, over my wife, my kids. I'm given to anger more than I care to admit, um, I've said careless things in moments of deep frustration with my children, and I grasp for minor and major control in life instead of trusting God who has created my family and put my family together and allowing him to be the one that guides and shapes uh, where we go as an individuals and as a family. So I know I'm not alone in this. I know uh, we struggle with sin on a regular basis, and we feel the effects of that sin. And so what hope are we clinging to? Because that's inevitable for us, right? We're going to struggle with sin. And so what hope is it, church, that we're clinging to? I'm going to tell you, if it's anything outside of Jesus, then our maturity spiritually will elude us. I believe that 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, kind of helps give us some hope that not only are we positionally made holy and sanctified, but that the Spirit is given to us as believers. And so sanctification is also a progressive process over the life of of the believer. And so again, the scripture should come up on the screen behind me. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18, it says, "And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit." And so we see that this is a work of the Spirit in us. As believers, we are promised the seal of the Holy Spirit to indwell us as believers who gives us the power to be witnesses, but also is the one that teaches us, matures us, and grow us, grows us in this process of sanctification. But the Bible calls us to work, our, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So as believers, we're not just merely passive participants in this relationship right? Yes, Jesus does the saving work, but we don't just sit idly by and just wait for him to change us. I think the Bible calls us to work, our, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. This doesn't mean that our salvation is works-based, though, that there's some amount of good that we can do to earn the favor of God or to earn forgiveness. It doesn't mean that. So instead, we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind, and so in Romans 12, we see that. Romans 12, verse 2 says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so this process of sanctification happens in a couple different ways. But one of the ways it happens is that we should be, as believers, renewing our minds with the truth of God's word. Renewing our minds is preaching the gospel to ourselves on a daily basis so that we don't forget who we are and who he is. It also means that I need to focus on what I'm thinking. I need to take my thoughts captive as a believer. I need to focus on truth and not lies. I need to focus on who I am now in Christ, who we are now in Christ, and not who I was prior to salvation. And I think this 
only can be done and we can only be reminded and have our minds renewed if we know the word of God and it deepens and it fuels our affections. So we must read it, church. So in this new year, when you're setting goals and and you're thinking ahead to what you're going to look like at this time next year, what does that look like? And I think if we prioritize the reading of the word, prioritizing a Sunday gathering where we sit under the word being taught, I also think that we need to study it ourselves. There's an element of personal discipleship here that needs to happen with us digging into the word and meditating on it, memorizing scripture, and more so than that, applying it, right? And we have these environments even within the grove for us to help you do that. And that's our growth groups and our neighborhood groups, a Sunday gathering and those types of things. We want to prioritize the word of God so that it so fills us that when we fall into temptation or we fall into difficult circumstances in this life, we are buoyed by the weight and the truth of the gospel. Um, And so my wife has this little phrase or this little quote written in the front of her Bible And every time, every once in a while, I don't know if she knows I do this, but every once in a while I flip through her Bible and I just kind of see what she's highlighted and what she's reading and what she's thinking. It's not creepy. Look at me like that. Um, But I flip through her Bible nonetheless, and right at the very beginning, before you ever turn to a page with words on it, she has a quote written in the front of it by a teacher, I don't know who, at some point that she had heard. And it says this, the heart cannot love what the mind doesn't know. The heart can't love what the mind doesn't know. And so for us as believers, our heart has been made new by Christ. But there's a growing awareness and understanding of who God is and who we are that needs to be happening continually so that we are overflowing with gratitude and grace and mercy and love and all the fruits of the Spirit, right? So the heart cannot love what the mind doesn't know. Friends, these are disciplines that we cultivate in natural rhythms of life. Um, these will be the first place that we go when we're struggling against our own sin or against difficulty that comes in the world. And so one of the tools that we've used here on a fairly regular basis um, is the cross chart. And you'll probably see one come up here behind me on the screen. Um, and let me just kind of break this down for you. Most of you have probably seen this at some point. Um, most of you have maybe understand this, but let me kind of walk through this just a little bit. Um, you'll see at the very beginning on my right, your left, that there's a point of conversion, right? There's a point in which the Lord captures our affections and we turn our lives over to him and we follow him. And then you see that those lines start to kind of grow and the cross, um, in this particular one, the cross doesn't get bigger and um, we had a trouble with picture this morning, so I can't show you the one that fully grows. But if you just picture that cross over time getting bigger and bigger as those arrows open up, the two things that need to happen in order for the cross to grow in our hearts and minds and the work that Jesus has done to, to, uh, to grow in our hearts and minds is two things. You'll see at the top line it says that we have a growing awareness, a deepening awareness of how holy God is. And then the bottom arrow shows that we have a growing and a deepening awareness of just how particularly sinful we are, right? And so the more that we understand how good and gracious he is, the more that we understand how messed up we really are and how far removed from anything good and righteous we were apart from Jesus, hopefully the more and more the cross grows in our hearts and minds and that it settles within us and it fuels how we love and how we live and how we parent and how we teach and how we work and whatever you want to fill that blank with, right? 
But there's also some traps in this, which is what this picture shows, is that the cross is kind of stagnant and stays the same size in this picture. And the traps are that if we're not growing in, an, in, a, in a progressive understanding of how good uh, or how holy God is, some of the traps that we'll fall into is we'll be just really religious, or we might just be um, really big on self-justification or legalism, because we feel like if we put the right things in place, and that will somehow set us up for uh, the right position to be accepted by God. And then on the bottom line, you see that the cross doesn't grow if we don't have a deepening understanding of our own particular sinfulness. And what tends to happen there is we start to see that we deal with guilt and fear and insecurities and despair because we forget what God has done for us and we think that we have something to offer. And so when we don't, we mess up in the new year, we fall into that temptation, then we start to go, well, woe is me, I'm terrible, I'm never going to be good enough. And if I'm honest, like, I was there about this, um, to be, just to be really frank, it's like, I don't think I can do this, you know? And, and I think that if we start to take baby steps, Lance used to tell me this years and years ago, he's like, man, just take baby steps. If you start to take baby steps in your faith, over time, I think you'll look back and see that God is the one who is faithful. He's the one that's going to carry you through uh, this journey of life. And so the other thing that we have to be doing as part of this sanctification process, this progressive growth over time, is it's important for us as believers to be focusing on what sin we do have and figuring out how to put that to death, right? Um, it's the old saying of like, if we're not killing sin, sin will be killing us. Like there's some, there's some truth to that, even though it's kind of kitschy right, is that we need to be focused on what particular sinfulness, what, what areas that we struggle in, and then be focusing on what do I need to do to trust God more and put those to death. And so some of the questions that I was thinking about this week as I was thinking about this particular point in the sermon was, are there things that we have that are entangling us in our pursuit of Jesus? Are there things that are creating some drift in us in this new year? What sin do we need to put to death so that it's not affecting our passion and our desires to follow Jesus? And as we mature in this lifelong process of being made holy over time, how do we not grow weary in that? I'll ask again, what hope do we have to fight the good fight and to run our race well? And I think if we renew our minds, that that will help with this. And so we're going to do that now. Let's renew our minds with some hope that we also see in Scripture for what is to come um, as we continue on in this race of life and finish it well. And I think it should come up on the screen again behind me, but in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 it says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And so we'll be perfected in sanctification. That's our hope, right? God's not going to pluck us up out of this earth and just remove us and give us glory. He has a purpose for us here. And he has an intentional plan and a will for our lives that he's working out over time. But we have a hope that one day we will be perfected. And this happens as we enter glory. We'll be made perfectly holy once and for all. And what a glorious hope that is for those who believe. And so this is what Jesus is praying for to the Father, that he would sanctify us. So we have to ask the questions. If Jesus is praying for us to be sanctified, if Jesus is praying for us to be set apart and to be holy and to look different, 
then do we? Do we really look different? Are we going to look different come the end of 2023? I think it's important for us to sit and to kind of chew on that because we have a lot of goals and a lot of aspirations, and although they are good, are they primary? And so I challenge you with that this morning. Do our lives look any different from the world around us? There may be things that we have to address as the Spirit moves, maybe even in our hearts this morning, sin that we have to address. I would pray that we would be intentional to seek the Lord on what needs to change in us and ask for His help and to set some soul goals. I also want you to be encouraged that there may be more of these sanctifying moments happening in your life where you don't even realize it. So I'll give you an example from my own life. A lot of you in here probably know our story. There's a lot of you that I can see that don't as well. Um, and so I'll briefly just give you a little picture of what sanctification has looked like in my life. Kristen and I have been married since we were in our early 20s. We just celebrated 15 years. And for our entire marriage to this very day, infertility has been a big thing in our marriage, a crushing thing in our life. And it's something that very early on, when you get that kind of news, some of you may have that story, when you get that kind of news, your gut just drops for me, there was a lot of anger. There's a lot of bitterness towards the Lord. Um, it was hard for me to watch my little sister and my little brother give birth to three beautiful kids each. Um, it was hard for me to watch Kristen's sister give birth to three little beautiful kids each. All of our friends and people that we were around in church all seemingly experiencing this joy that we so longed for. And when I didn't have a good understanding of the Word of God or of what he was doing in my life, or the bigger picture that he might have in mind that is so much more grand than my small little view, right? I think as we started to look to the Lord for hope and for help, we started to see some growth and some maturity. We could go, Kristen could go to a baby shower and not be bitter. Um, we could celebrate with friends at the hospital and not be grumpy and angry, um, one of the most like defining moments, I think, sanctifying moments is actually, I'm going to call them out, but Matt and Amy, when they had rigs, we were in the hospital and I'm sitting there holding rigs and, and Matt is looking at me and this is like the biggest moment of their life beside their marriage. And Matt goes, hey, we've been praying for this for you for a long time. And like that little thing right there, even though it wasn't like the answer to the bigger prayer, right? It was humbling to go, man, people see and they care. The Lord sees and he cares. He gave us that moment, right? And so also within that, over time, the Lord had given us in his word, in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, there's a story of a man who was born blind. And the, the people are asking, well, Jesus, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his sin? Was it because of his parents' sin? And Jesus is like, no, it's not because of his sin or his parents' sin. And Jesus says this in the passage. He said, it is so that the works of God might be displayed. So the man was born blind so that Jesus and his works would be glorified. And so now we're at a point where we can look and go, man, our story wasn't a conventional conception of a child, right? But we have three beautiful kids. And the ironic thing is that three months into us being married, our oldest Stella was born. And she was there the whole time. We never knew her, right? I'm going to start crying. We just never knew her, and the boys too. So all these years that we were longing and praying and waiting and angry and bitter, the Lord is in the background working and moving and preparing us to then bring them into our family 
and started a family in a different way. So this is what sanctification looks like. It does not mean that we're going to be void of adversity, right? Our lives are going to be void of trouble. It's God is doing something in the midst, and if we can continue to focus on him in the midst of all that hardship, I think we will see over time that he's got a big and a grand plan in mind. There will always be circumstances in life that bring difficulty, and so how will we respond? That's the question. For me personally, it's will I put to death the idols that I have of control or wishing that I could mend my own body or my wife's body and the brokenness there, or will I learn to lean on Jesus more and more, degree by degree, we saw in the scriptures, looking at the circumstances of life not as something to crush me, but as opportunities for God to use them to grow me and to mature me. And so we can trust in him, church, because we have the word, and his word is truth. And we see that in the second part of this passage in John 17. Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And so the meaning of the word truth in this verse is not just merely this ethical truth. It's a truth that finds all its fullness and scope embodied in who Jesus is. He was the perfect expression of truth. This is identical to his statement in John 14, 6, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. So what a mercy is it then that God would send Jesus to reconcile and to sanctify sinners. I know it's popular in our culture to speak your truth these days, right? Um, But friends, I I pray that this is a reminder to us that there's only one truth, um, and that his name is Jesus. He's graciously given us truth in the scriptures as well. And so we can be grateful and not take for granted his written word that he's provided for us to learn about him, to deepen our relationship with him, and to rely on him in new ways. As I was studying for this sermon, I I stumbled upon a uh, six-page sermon that was written by Charles Spurgeon on just this one verse, and I was like kind of kicking myself at the beginning of this going, nine words? I don't know how I'm going to talk for 20 minutes or 25 minutes or whatever in, in, with nine words. And then I read six pages by Spurgeon, and I was like, this small. So um, it was humbling to say the least, but Spurgeon says this in regard to John 17. He said, the word is truth. The scripture alone is absolute truth. It's essential truth. It's decisive truth. It's authoritative truth. Undiluted truth. Eternal and everlasting truth. Truth is given us in the word of God in that which is to sanctify all believers to the end of time. God will use it to that end. And so praise be to God that we, he saw fit to give us his word. He knew where we would be. He knew we would need it, right? And so he didn't do that flippantly. And so praise God for that. But Jesus is super clear about this in the scriptures. And so I think we have to ask, what are we being invited into in 2023 when it comes to prioritizing the study of God's word? If he saw fit to pray that we would be sanctified in the truth and then gave it to us, how much more should we prioritize this in the new year over maybe some other goals or objectives um, that we have? So Jesus prays for our sanctification. He prays for our holiness because ultimately this is a way to bring him glory and honor. He also knows that this is how the world will see him, that he is the way and the truth and the life. 
So reading and prioritizing the study of the truth through the word is the means by which God is going to do the sanctifying work in his people. I walked into being asked to preach about this, like I said, thinking nine words, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And yet, as I began to continue to read and study, I began to dig deeper. I quickly realized that the depths of the word is so vast that I could spend much more time pulling out of it or trying to pull out of it all that he might have for us today. But this is why the truth is sufficient to sustain us in all things, in all of life. And the Lord will bring us through and he uses his word to do it. And so as we get ready to close um, today, I wanted to read you another quote from that same article uh, by Charles Spurgeon um, in regard to sanctification, in regard to what the Lord is doing. And so it should come up on the screen behind me, but he says this, I have reminded you that the prayer for sanctification is offered to the divine Father, Jesus praying to God the Father. This leads us to look out of ourselves and wholly to our God. Do not set about the work of sanctification yourselves, church, as if you could perform it alone. Don't imagine that holiness will necessarily follow you, uh, follow because you listen to an earnest preacher or you unite in sacred worship. My brethren, God himself must work within you. The Holy Ghost must inhabit you. And this can only come to you by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the gospel again. Believe in him for your sanctification, even as you have believed for your pardon and your justification. He alone can bestow sanctification upon you, for this is the gift of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let me close with this. Knowing what we know now, since Jesus is not only continually interceding, we know he's at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding right now on our behalf. And we see him practicing that or doing that here in John 17. So knowing what we know now, since Jesus is not only continually interceding for you and I, he's given us everything necessary in this life to set us apart for his holy purposes in this world and in this present day. He's given us this word for a purpose. So what will we do as we embark in this new year together? How will we prioritize being an active participant in the sanctification process the Lord has you in right now, if you believe? Spiritual maturity and growth are possible this year, friends. We have the spirit of truth inside of us, and we have the word to guide us. So if you're sitting in this room and you don't yet know Christ, I'm not naive enough to think that everybody in here is a believer, then you also must realize, realize that in God's sovereignty, he's placed you here. You made it a priority to come here this morning, to sit under his word being taught. And so you must realize that these moments are the Lord drawing you unto himself. And I pray, I pray that this year, that if you have not met Jesus, if you have not come to Jesus, I pray that that would be true of you in this year. And I know that the spirit will work and I know that he'll move and I know that he'll use, use his word to do so. Will we give ourselves over to him um, by prioritizing his word this year? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I'm humbled this morning to be able to stand before your people and um, speak the truth that you have given, Lord Jesus. Um, God, I pray that um, I know your word goes out and doesn't return void. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that um, you'd be working in the hearts and minds of the people that are here in this room. Lord Jesus, I don't know where everyone is at, uh, but I do know that in my own life, 
um, over years and years of struggling with sin and various things that you have proven yourself to be faithful even when I wasn't, even when I'm not. And so, God, I pray that um, I pray that the people in this room would be challenged. I pray that they would be reinvigorated and renewed with the fact that a, a holy God has stepped in to humanity in the body of Jesus to come and be the second person of the Trinity to save us from our sin, that you so prioritized bringing us back into the fold, Lord God, that you went to great lengths to secure us. You've sealed us with the Spirit. So once we believe we're given the Spirit, there's nothing that we can do to pluck ourselves out of your hand, for sin to pluck us out of your hand. And so, God, let us live as a people who, as we struggle with this old nature that we have, that we would be people who repent. The Bible calls us to be believers, a people who repent. That indicates that we have sin and we're going to struggle with it. And so, God, in this new year, would you help us to rest in you? Would you help us to rely on the sufficiency of your work on the cross and your atoning work for our sin? We love you, Lord Jesus. We are grateful and we are humbled by your mercy and your grace towards us. In your name we pray. Amen.